This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. One of the things that we've lost with, even just let me go back to our phones, like we lose the freedom and the time to just think and to wrestle. I think we're yeah. afraid to wrestle with the questions that we have. If you find yourself feeling like you miss the days before the internet, where you could build forts and ask questions and you didn't have some crazy computer in your pocket to answer everything right away. Well, maybe poetry can be one way that we begin to recover some of that wonder. In this conversation with poet Tanner Olson, we talk about his most recent collection of poems, Walk a Little Slower, and how the internet might be a place to connect and to disconnect from. Listen to this conversation with Tanner as we continue to talk about art and limits. Welcome to the Finding Holy podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. All right, friends, it's really fun to have Tanner Olson on the podcast today. He is the author of a his most recent book of poetry called Walk a Little Slower. So thanks for being here, Tanner. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so fun. This season, we're talking about art and limits. So I think it's going to be really fun to talk about what does it look like, particularly in poetry. But before we get there, I'd love to have you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, particularly how you got your start or on Instagram, um, because I think, you know, there's obviously limits to, to using that space as well. My my story of becoming a writer and becoming a poet it's it's quite long but I'll I'll try to make a a long story shorter. Um, I have always loved words. I just have always been fascinated by how they can move someone and encourage someone and change someone and lead them into a different direction of life. Growing up, I was really into punk rock music like that. Like the words of punk rock music just mm-hmm. took a hold of me, and I was like they know me like they they get me there's something about it and so i longed to be this musician like the the front man of a band that would have people cheering and screaming and chanting but i can't sing and you don't want me to sing <laughs> i was not given the gift of music uh, i can play about four chords on the guitar before i lose all thought and direction it just it was never going to happen but i was so fascinated with writing that i just kind of kept at it and kept at it mm-hmm. throughout middle school throughout high school throughout college but i didn't really tell anybody that i wrote poetry until after i graduated from college and after a series of breakups and i got fired from my first job out of college and that's a totally different story that we don't need to get into right now <laughs> but there's all these things that happened that just led me to say okay maybe the thing that i'm supposed to do is write and to write poetry And that conclusion was one that terrified everybody in my life because they were like, oh, poetry, that's where all the money's at. You're going to be totally fine. But that was back in in 2013. And I don't know. I don't know when I created 
an Instagram account for my work. I think it was 2017, maybe 2016. Um, but for a while, writing was always a part-time job. It was the thing that I did before work. It was the thing that I did after work. And mm -hmm. there wasn't really a direction with it. I just knew that I liked to write and to share. And then over a series of time, I was able to put out a book and then another book and then my latest book. And I've just been sharing stuff on a regular basis for the last two, three years, basically full time. Yeah. You know, so your written to speak is your Instagram handle, um, just so folks can go follow you. But how is Instagram a good spot for poetry or has it been a good spot for poetry for you? The Internet is a weird place, but there's this magic about it that brings strangers together and allows them to say, hey, that makes sense to me or I connect mm -hmm. with that. Um, I, I don't use Instagram or the internet to build a following of sorts. Now, it's important if you want to sell books, apparently, but I, I, I use it. Apparently. Right? <laughs> apparently. That's what all the blogs told me. Um, yeah. But, but I, I use it as a place where I can share the things that I'm wrestling with, wondering through, realizing, questioning, and put that out into the world. And that allows for other people to, again, say me too, or to send me messages. My, mm -hmm. I, my favorite part about the internet and Instagram is that you can send me a message and I can send you a message and mm -hmm. we can talk like I can talk with people. I've talked with people and basically I feel like every continent I've talked with somebody, I get messages from all over the world, people saying, Hey, I, I, I wrestle with depression or I was going to kill myself, but then I read this or mm -hmm. I'm going through a really hard time, whether it's a divorce, infertility, child loss, or just like, I'm just not where I want to be. And so one of my favorite parts of, about Instagram is that I get to be a place where I can hear other people's stories, not, hmm. not fix anybody's problems, but I can, I can write about what they're going through as best as I can. And I can offer mm -hmm. them a little bit of hope. Um, and I think hope from a stranger is still a beautiful thing. You know, you write too in, in your most recent collection of poetry about technological rhythms or about, you know, like there's a lot of poems about kind of wanting to return to kind of this boyhood or this youthfulness of not having a phone in your hand, but having a hand in your hand, which is a great line. So, you know, on the one hand, you have this platform, quote unquote, you know, where you are connecting with people, but it's technological. And then the other hand, you have a lot of words, right, where you are trying to get back to this pre-technological kind of moments how do you see that interacting? You know, how do we maybe figure out healthy technological rhythms? Um, because you're saying, you know, it's not to say that the internet is bad and evil. And, you know, when you're talking about there's, there's connection that can happen. Um, but how do we not get sucked into that? How do we make space to slow down? Yeah, I, I think it's different for everybody, like, like most things are. But I, I, I know for myself, like, I have to be very careful with when I'm on my phone and when I'm not on my phone and, and to stay away from those things at the, at the right time. I, it's mm. just in high school, <laughs> we had classes for math and economics and social studies and all English, but I never had a, I never took a class on how to use a phone, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's one of the things that I use more than anything else in the world. Like it's just, this is my, we all use our phones for a lot of things and it's not a bad thing, but it can become a bad thing. And I miss so much the freedom of being seven and not knowing about Instagram or a phone and just like 
living and asking questions because I could ask questions. There was no such thing as Google. And like, I'm not saying like, let's get back to the good old days because not everything was good about the good old days if there were ever such a thing. But I'm learning now that I have to be careful with my phone because Mm -hmm. it's going to change how I think for good or bad, how I feel for good or bad. And kind of, and and what I believe as well for good or bad. Mm. And so it's just, you know, how do I use my eyes? Well, I have to be careful with them. And uh, that means that I have to really watch what I'm doing on a phone. I think that's really wise because I think we tend to think of it as simply a tool that doesn't have any formational value, but it, but it does. Oh yeah. And, And it, and it runs deep and it creates habits and it changes how we view other people and how we view ourselves. And it's, I mean, if not used correctly, it's a, it's a weapon. It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of, a lot of my writing is like, what well, I miss, you know, I miss being seven, but also like, I know there's something beautiful living without a phone and I want yeah. that for you as well. And I, mm-hmm. and I want to encourage rest and fasting from your phone. If that's yeah. a thing, it can't yeah. be, it should be a thing, but it's just, I, I, I want to live. I don't want to be sucked in. Mm-hmm. That's great. <laughs> um, so tell us how also how poetry can help us get there. You know, if if we need times away from our phone and technology and being plugged in and productive, these are all themes I talk a lot about in my book called A Spacious Life. Like how do we, what maybe like if if there's a negative pulling back from technology, perhaps at least, you know, to to make sure that we're not addicted, you know, to what extent does poetry maybe provide us something positive? I think poetry is this, it's this strange thing. And I, I mean, I don't even know how to explain it. I didn't, I didn't study poetry in school. I just started writing it, which I just lost all credibility with your listeners. And I'm okay with that. That's fine. <laughs> but we need practitioners too. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. Well, it's this, it's this weird thing. It's, it's, it's not a message or a sermon and it's not a song. It's somewhere that kind of fits in the middle. And if anything, it's a it's an offering or a gift, which just sounds mm-hmm. super artistic and weird. I understand that, but it but it really is. It's something that that I that for me at least, the things that I write, I write them because it's what I'm going through, or it's something that you've told me that you're going through, and I want to help put that into words again, not to mm-hmm. not to fix the problem, but just to to wrestle with it. And I think one of the things that we've lost with even just let me go back to our phones, like we lose the freedom and the time to just think and to wrestle. I think we're yeah. afraid to wrestle with the mm-hmm. questions that we have, the ideas that are happening. Because we'll go like, oh, if somebody poses a question or something's happening in our world, we're going to go to the internet to see what everyone else thinks. And we forget to think for ourselves because this person with a blue check mark said, this is the right thing. And that's just, and I think what poetry does is it says, I don't have all the answers, but I have a place for you to just be. And I think with poetry, you can, I mean, I have people who follow my work that come from different um, faith backgrounds, I, how they identify. Um, but yet there's something in poetry that says everybody's welcome here. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect, but there's, seat at, there's a seat at the table. And that's mm-hmm. what that's what I think poetry does. It, it just echoes the words welcome home over and over again. What's your favorite poem in your collection? In my, in this most recent one. So I just, um, I've, I've gotten to do a couple of, uh, live shows over the last couple months, um, sharing some of these new poems that are in there. And there's one poem. It's actually the very last poem at the, at the end of the book. It's called go on. 
and mm-hmm. it was a last minute edition. Now it's a self published book, so it's not really like a last minute edition. It wasn't like I texted my publisher and said, "Hey, I just did it myself because it's self published." But I never planned for it to be in the book. And then I was sitting on a porch one day, which the porch is my favorite place to be. And I just was looking around and I just started writing. And the poem is called Go On. And it's basically like, hey, like you don't you don't need your phone for this. You just go on. Like, look at the trees. They were there Mm -hmm. yesterday, too. Did you see them? And it's just it's this idea. It's when I read it, it feels kind of like a scolding. But I think it's more of like an invitation to Mm -hmm. like you. You can you can look. You can be, you can go on, you can walk a little slower. Um, and I, I always love sharing that poem because it's, it's, well, it's what I need to hear. And I think if I need to hear it, there's a good chance that someone else might need to hear it as well. So I think mm-hmm. that's one of my favorites. Um, there's a, there are a couple others in the book that I, I, I really like. There's a poem, a short one called um, Stillness, which is all about being still. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, I have a couple of joke poems I say joke, but there's one that's called cake for breakfast, which I think is, it's one of my favorites. And then there's another called, uh, no longer internet friends, which talks about, I don't know if this has happened to you. I I tried to share this with somebody before and they were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But like, when you go to, like, I went to go message someone on Facebook and just to see how they were doing. And it said, add friend. And I was like, Whoa, when did we not? When would we stop becoming friends? But I guess it feels a little bit like you're back in middle school. Like, oh, apparently I've been excised from your friendship circle. Oh, yep. And that's but I wanted to write about that because I think that's what a lot of people have gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, this is going to sound weird. And I, I know that I'm rambling and that's the coffee. But I th- the first two books that I released, I was excited to release them. But this book I, I was really proud of because I feel like I finally wrote the things that I wanted to share with the world or the words that I wanted to leave behind. Um, Mm. And I think as an artist, as a writer, and for those who are listening, whatever context they find that in, it's, it's, it's weird to feel proud of something that you created in a world of noise and chaos, but it is, it's, it's a fun thing. Well, thank you. Those are good. And they're, they're fun. Are you worn out by hurry and hustle, and yet you don't know what it looks like to find a better way? Well, Jasmine Holmes called my book, A Spacious Life, balm for a weary soul. Tish Harrison Warren called it a needed tonic, and Jen Pollock-Michelle talks about it as rescuing us from the siren call of self-help. Join these women as they have experienced both their own limits and seen how my book, A Spacious Life, helps all of us to embrace the goodness of our God-given limits. Find out more at aspacious.life. That's aspacious.life. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. 
In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Um, I would love to talk a little bit about how you have found like the limits of the poetic form to actually increase your creativity. There's one thing I talk about in my book, A Spacious Life, about how the the subtitle is called Trading Hustle and Hurry for the Goodness of Limits. And so we're talking, I talk a lot about that our limits are actually pathways to knowing God. They help us to be human, you know, that things like rest and Sabbath and waiting can actually form us in really good ways. Um, but we tend to not actually embrace our human finitude because it's scary or, you know, we want to be like Eve in the garden and take the fruit and be like God and have it all. And, you know, there's so much about limits though, that when we like struggle through them, if we work through them, if we lean into them that are actually invitational. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about how you found the poetic form, particularly helpful, like that limitation, you know, you're not writing like 80,000 words, like, you know, these are small poems. How does that help you grow in creativity or what kind of human emotional growth have you found in, yeah, writing poetry and the limits of a form? When I first started writing, I was, um, first of all, I, I'm a terrible reader. Uh, okay. I, 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 my brother, I, I have an older brother. He, every night he is, my mom would, would say, Hey, you have to stop reading. And she would have to tell me, Hey, turn off the TV. So we were just very different. And I, I might've been a reader if he wasn't, but we, I just had to be different from him. Hence the poetry. Um, but, um, I, I don't know why I told you that I'll, I'll eventually find it in my head. But I think when I, when I first started, Oh, when I first started writing, I wanted to be like Donald Miller. I loved the book Blue Like Jazz, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. I love Anne Lamott and how she just kind of weaves faith and stories and honesty together. And when I read mm -hmm. their stuff and when I've read their stuff over the years, it's that's what I want to write. That's what I want to be like. Yeah. And I tried that and, um, and it was fun, but, it, but I, I wasn't home when I was doing it. I didn't come alive when I was writing that stuff. And so there's a couple of things that I've had to learn how to say to myself and not be upset when I hear them. Like, um, that's not for me or that's not for me yet. And mm. I, I can't, I can, and I don't have to. Uh, now I, I've started writing more stories and this personal narrative type stuff like Donald Miller and Anne Lamont. And I'm, I'm, finding, I'm finding myself more at home as I do that. But I think with like limits, it's it's okay to to say I you know this isn't the right time for me to do this, or now it's like the fence is not a bad thing, like mm -hmm. offense is a good thing. It, it means it's keeping something bad out, or it's keeping you away from danger. And I needed to like in the last year or so, like you mentioned, I've become just more. I've realized again and again that I need to rest. Mm -hmm. Like I need to take a day, a day and a half to not do anything. And sure, that means there's a day and a half where I'm not working or writing or trying to grow an audience, which is something that just makes me cringe every time I say it. Yeah, yeah. But every time I every time I take a day to rest, like we 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 rest and then we work. 
right? Like yeah. I don't work and then rest. It's the opposite. You know, for that's for the longest time, I always thought, well, I'll work, 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 and then rest. It's, no, no, no. I will rest. I will breathe. I will be, and then I will begin again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this whole I- idea of, of limits, it's from the very beginning. And if we can see them as something good mm-hmm. and something helpful, then that's a game changer. Yeah, um, for sure. So yeah, I yeah. Know, that's a that's a good yeah, question. Yeah, that's a great, you know, way as you're thinking about like your creative process and what kind of limits you need to impose. Yeah, just like I actually need to rest um before you you get into that work. You can't be everyone else. You can only be right. you. And so it's yeah. like you it like and you'll get there. One of the things when when uh young writers are say, "Well, what's your best advice?" My best advice is just to give it time. Mm-hmm. But you can't you can't jump like 10 years in the future, right? What's, what's the saying? Like, uh, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success okay. at a time. Like just, you, you can't just jump ahead in the story. You got to like, let's, let's just live out today and we'll see mm-hmm. what tomorrow brings if tomorrow comes, mm-hmm. um, which is frustrating. Nobody wants to hear that. They want to hear, Oh, you <laughs> just do like these three things and then you're going to be the best writer ever. And that's not how it works. I wish. Nope. But yes, it's often, it's, it's process oriented for sure. And then when you're thinking, so if we're thinking about limits in terms of, you know, the creative life, um, and then if we think about limits in terms of writing poetry, like that you have very small space. So how have you, um, to kind of get your, your message, your point across when you think about writing poetry and you're thinking about writing a particular poem, what does that look like for you to embrace that small space? Um, you know, 10 lines, five lines, 25 lines. Um, what does that feel like a struggle? Does it feel, you know, to get everything you want to get into that, into that tight space? Again, this might make some of your listeners upset who are really, who know poetry really well. I don't have any rules for myself. I just, I just write. I, and I just, and let's see what, what kind of becomes of all of this. I was mm-hmm. listening to um, a podcast and I know we all love the story of telling about a podcast on another podcast, but here it comes. <laughs> I was listening to something. Up. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> but I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about how like music came from America over to like China, Japan. Right. And um, they like, they basically had a smuggle tapes over there, like John Denver, all this kind of stuff. Well, long story short, uh, a, a group of people found these tapes and then started sharing music from America all over, all over Japan, all over. Right. And then a couple of guys got together, they created a band and they mixed two different genres of music. It was like heavy metal, like big hair music with uh-huh. like these like great guitar licks with like heavy rock. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there was this like this infusion and they basically just created a brand new genre and didn't ask questions, didn't ask for permission. They just kind of did it and it worked. And I think that's kind of how I've approached writing is I've never been someone to follow the rules or to follow them. Well, I've always been afraid of getting in trouble, but I've never been one to follow the rules. Um, I just wanted to do my own thing and my poetry may not be for everyone, but I know that it's for someone and that's who I'm going to try to write for. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes back down to it, like, why are you doing what you're doing and who are you doing it for? Um, And I, like I said, like, I, you know, I can't be this poet. I can't be that writer, but I can be me. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I'm going to try to do today. Yeah. And, you know, there's a sense in which too, that's helping you articulate the limits of, yeah, your audience as well. What do you see as kind of the mission of your, of your work? Yeah. Why do you write? 
spread hope. Age old question. <laughs> yeah. My, my, from the very beginning, I just wanted to spread hope. Um, and I think that looks different to everybody. Um, and it's looked different for me as well. But I want to write something that allows someone to nod along, to feel less alone, and to believe that, I mean, not to see, not to just dis- dismiss their pain or their questions or their wondering, but to see it and to say, okay, let's keep going together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I've always, I've always connected again with like with music when someone basically puts into words what you're thinking, feeling, and going through. And that's what I want to write. I want to write something that someone says, me too, or I needed to hear that. Um, and I think if, if, and I have, I have, uh, off somewhere on my desk, four things that I, I, I want to accomplish, right? And it's it's spread hope, it's announce love, it's inspire creativity, and it's to um, encourage peace. And like just those those four things remind me why I'm doing what I'm doing. And and that's you know, that's kind of like my limits. Like I'm gonna try to stay inside of that. Yeah, I mean, and in a lot of ways too, it sounds like a lot of your poetic project is uh like a, an offshoot of counseling, you know, a little bit like, you know, choosing to say like to be emotionally present with another person, even a stranger on the internet through the medium of poetry. Mm-hmm. I, I would never say don't go to counseling. I've always right, been right, a fan yeah. of counseling. I wish I could afford it. Uh, I write poetry, but for me, like, you know, I, in one of my poems, it's, I say, you know, writing is the cheapest form of therapy mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, I found a lot of healing and hope and freedom and just writing Right. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something beautiful about taking time to journal and to write your thoughts down day after day. And I think it's important. And, and, and again, it's not like this quick change or these three steps. It's just like the daily practice of sitting with yourself, with God mm-hmm. and putting some words down on a piece of paper, not for them to be graded or shared, but just so that they can be out of your head for a little while. Mm, no, I think that's really important. Um, like Julia Cameron talks about doing morning pages as a way to yeah, just get things out. Um, but I think, you know, as Christians, there's also the added benefit of knowing that we have someone present with us and not simply just our own brains. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And crazy thought, but God can read, right? Like, so like the things that I'm writing down, like he's reading that he knows that. And it's this time that I get to spend mm-hmm. with him. And I, I've often, I mean, I've started more journals than I've actually finished, but I have, you know, a bunch of them are just like, prayers or notes to God. And there is something just so you can be honest and say whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And then for me, it's, it's cathartic, but it's also, there's something, um, I don't know, something holy about it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I love too, how you just mentioned those, those sorts of prayers, those journaling exercises, those journaling exercises, or, you know, even beginnings of poems don't need to be shared. And I think that's a really great limit too, to think about that we have to do some of this creative work within the limits of not always having our creative work as public work. Yeah. I think I have more poems that I haven't shared than I have shared. Um, And they don't, maybe one day, but they don't need to be today. Right. Right. Um, Right. And, and this one, and this one's for me. This yeah, one's so bad. Right. It's just for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. That's so good. Well, I would love to hear as we're kind of wrapping up your laundry routine. So I ask everyone, this kind of comes from Kathleen Norris, who's a, a Catholic writer. And she, she talks about, um, she kind of comes back to faith. She writes about this in the Quotidian Mysteries 
because she sees the Catholic priest like cleaning up right after communion. He's like wiping out the chalice and she's like, the priest is doing the dishes. Like my mind is blown. This has relevance for my everyday. And so with whether it's our dishes or our laundry, I think we can we connect with God in ordinary moments. So I love hearing just everyone's laundry routine. Well, now that you say it like that, I need to change up my laundry routine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you have to be truthful. You have to say your real laundry routine. My So my laundry routine. So um, well, as we were talking with some friends the other day about, we were talking about laundry. And I mentioned how I do laundry like once or twice a week. I don't have that many. I try not to have that many clothes or though I wear the same things over and over again. Uh, but my wife and I, we have separate hampers and this yep. blew our friends' minds. And I was like, but we do diff- we do laundry differently and at different times. She is someone who does it, you know, once or twice a month and I do it once or twice a week. And it's just, so I'll throw something in the laundry and cold, cold, always cold, cold. I heard that was the best way to do it. I could be wrong. I heard I that know. too recently too. That is supposed to know. like... It like with all the new detergents that cold water it works just as well and it saves money and energy. I anyway, you know what? Yeah. There are a lot of things that I don't know how I, I use them, but I don't know how the world works. I don't understand how the post office works, but they seem to do things. I don't know how laundry really works. Um, there's I'm not we're not going to get into all of it, but those are at least two things that I don't really yeah. know how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I'll uh, once or twice a week I'll throw in some laundry, one load all together. Um, I'll throw random towels in around the house. We'll throw those in. Um, it's just going to be just basically a mosh pit of just linens from the house. And, yep. and then I'm, I'm pretty strict about it's done. I switch it over. And then the way that I dry them is I dry them on low, if that's a setting. Uh, uh-huh. And then I just dry them longer so okay. they don't shrink because I have a problem with clothes shrinking pretty fast. Um, and then I'm a hanger guy. I like to hang everything up. I don't nice. like drawers. Uh, so not that I hang my socks up. I hang up like all my shirts. And <laughs> right. then to be Even honest, t-shirts? my pants. Oh, all t-shirts. Yeah. I don't have that many. I don't have that many. So it's just, they're okay. all up there. There you yeah. go. And then can see it, which is nicer. <laughs> than you, I feel like, I feel like this is, this question is a way to <laughs> realize if someone is crazy or not. And I feel like I'm, I'm teetering. I'm, I'm teetering. Oh, I, I, most of the time, like people's laundry routines tend to be like, I don't know, just there's piles. Um, but yeah, there's a few that are a little more particular, which are fun. There's this like little alarm in my head that goes off once or twice a week that's like, you, hey, you need to do some laundry. You really need to think yeah. about what's, what pair of sweatpants you want to wear on Thursday. So like, let's get to this. <laughs> this is really important. Yes. Very important. Sweatpants yes. are very important. Does, do laundry become a nice little uh, procrastination technique from the writing? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, w- I would say my, my writing routine mostly is like, I'll write in the morning and then anything after one or 2 PM, it's, it's a free for all with my day. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll see kind of what happens or some days it's like, Oh, I get to write all day. This is awesome. Um, but for the most part, it's like, I'm good in the morning. And then after yeah. one or two in the afternoon, I am just a human being trying to get everything else done. So it's not like you're halfway through a line and then you're like, Oh, I need to wash the sweatpants yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right now. Cause yeah. I'm yeah. stuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you, Tanner. It's been really fun to chat. Thank you for the ways in which you are present with people and helping them feel less alone and challenging us to practice hope. Well, thank you so much for having me and uh, appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. 
I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tanner Olson. You can follow him on Instagram at written to speak, and you can also read his book, walk a little slower. You can grab a copy of that at the link in the show notes as well. As we consider how a more spacious life might open up in our actual lives through our limits. And as we think particularly in this series, all about art and limits, I want to encourage you to practice one small step. And the first small step that I'm going to offer to you is to simply read a poem. Maybe you stop in the middle of your day while you're eating lunch. Maybe it's before bed, but find a time to read the poem and simply read it. You don't have to make sense of it. It doesn't have to make sense to you, but it is a practice in experiencing maybe a different way of seeing. And if you need some suggestions, I have a few in the show notes. I love Malcolm Geit and his Sounding the Seasons book. It's a helpful way to think through the liturgical year. Mary Oliver is always great, and I love Denise Levertov as well. So you can pick up something like that in the link in the show notes, or even just Google one of those names if you need a place to start. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to maybe put a timer. So you give yourself a limit, five minutes, and try writing something. Maybe it's a haiku. Um, You don't need to do sonnets or something really technical, but simply write down maybe what you see, what you're looking at in the form of a poem. No one has to see it. But these sorts of creative activities get us out of ourselves and realize what are the limits that are mine to embrace and what are the limits that I might be called into as an invitation. Thanks for being here, friends. Could you please just take a second and subscribe to the Finding Holy podcast? And if you have already done that, if you would take just another minute and leave a review, it helps these conversations continue. Remember, big things matter, but so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.